and welcome to Knowing Nature, the podcast all about exploring and engaging with the natural world. My name is Victor, and in this episode, we're going to be talking again about climate change, but this time we're going to be looking at how to approach teaching about climate change in your classrooms. Joining me in this episode once again are Maggie and Katya. Uh, welcome back to the show. Thank you. Great to be here again. Great to be back, Victor. Thanks for having us again. So in this episode, we're going to share a few of our experiences uh, because, again, we each work in slightly different settings. So we're going to share some of our experiences of how we've tried to approach this topic and some of the pros and cons and difficulties that we've faced. Then what we'll do is we'll dig deeper into issues surrounding climate change and give you some ideas for how to approach them. Maggie, can you tell us first about some of your experiences teaching, uh, approaching the climate change topic? Um, I've worked for um, various environmental education providers, and I do feel that historically environmental education providers were focusing more on experience uh, and kind of being in nature, being with nature, uh, either the experience or very much on the curriculum. Um, so subjects such as habitats, life cycle and classification would be covered for primary age children. and um, subjects such as carbon cycle, water cycle and river studies for secondary students. Uh, but climate change was, was not really discussed, often not mentioned at all. Uh, on occasion it will be sort of slotted in, last minute mentioned just a little bit. Uh, this was very much due to time restrictions and and the providers focusing on the curriculum to get school visits booked. Uh, but I feel I feel like times are really changing. I think a lot of environmental education providers are realizing the need to discuss climate change. Uh, many of them are now covering it more in their sessions uh, about other subjects, uh, as well as uh, increasingly developing and providing climate change focused sessions um, as well. So, so I think this is all really changing. And, and of course, it's hard to teach science indoors or outdoors without mentioning the greatest natural challenge facing our times. In terms of the museum I currently work at, uh, the museum declared climate emergency uh, and as a part of that an action plan was put in place uh, to incorporate climate crisis discussions into education at the museum, both in interactions with visitors as well as interpretations and displays and of course school sessions. We don't currently have a climate change specific session, but we do mention it as a part of our learning sessions. Um, to give you some examples in sessions on habitats, in sessions on um, extreme environments, uh, and sessions are about indigenous people and how their way of life is changing. So it is relevant to the topic that we're teaching, but often, because of lack of time, it's slotted in at the end and it's quite briefly mentioned. And it's a bit uh, difficult at times because you're opening a very wide, very huge topic that can often evoke a lot of very strong negative emotions. And then you just leave the children or the young people there without discussing it any further or giving them any practical and emotional tools to deal with it. Um, so it is something that the museum is discussing in terms of how to deal with climate change learning in the future. We certainly uh, have not reached a stage where, where we are 
happy uh, yet. Uh, it's, it's all in development. So I think my experience is very similar to, to yours because, again, a lot of the sessions are really curriculum focused. But I think in the last few years, especially after the school strikes, Greta Thunberg's activism, Extinction Rebellion, all of these things have really put climate change back on top of the priority heap for a lot of conservation and environmental um, organizations. And so just like you, Maggie, uh, the places where I've worked, we're just starting to look at how do we actually build climate change into the things that we do. And so again, it, it tends to be that we've got these existing sessions that look at habitats, adaptations, evolution, and now we're adding this climate change element to it, which is not to say that it's not related because it, it definitely can be. For instance, in evolution, we can talk about the rate at which evolution and adaptation happens and and the difficulties that climate change poses to a lot of wildlife and ecosystems because they just can't adapt and evolve fast enough. So there's definitely links to be made, but it's been up to the individual educators to put that content into the sessions. But that's been quite difficult. And then just like you've said, it, it ends up being this last few minutes at the end of the session where we kind of mention suddenly this really big, heavy topic, and it just isn't given the full time it's down to the time that a lot of providers leave for the session. So often they're maybe 45 minutes to an hour long. And that's just not enough time to talk about uh, the whole, the, the core topic, whatever that may be, and how climate change is impacting it. So really, in my opinion, my perspective is that climate change, it needs to be the core focus of a session, or it needs to not really be in the session. And in the cases where climate change isn't in the session, then their core focus really needs to be encouraging students to develop a real sense of valuing the wildlife or the habitat that they're learning about. That way, if they develop that pro-environmental attitude in the session, then that sets them up to respond really positively and to want to take action on climate change when they receive that message. Um, Katya, can you tell us a bit about your experience dealing with climate change in your practice? So in my case, um, I feel there is a difference uh, compared with, with your case because we go to schools. So schools don't come to us, but with the charity I work for, we bring our sessions inside the school. And in the past, we've been running medium or long-term programs, which could be five, six months long, for example. And the programs could be focused on, on specific topics, for example, waste prevention, edu waste education, also because we cooperate with local authorities. But in those programs, because we have so much time and we run regular sessions, um, let's say every couple of weeks or so, with a, a bigger objective to achieve at the end of the program, we have more space to include uh, also topics that are more close, uh, closely related to climate change, even if our bigger focus, for example, is to reduce the amount of waste and increase the recycling rates in the local community, we have several sessions that we bring in the school and we can then talk much more about all the environmental impacts that we are having through our lifestyles and therefore we mention climate change. We don't, we haven't 
specifically told only climate change in the past and this is something we are developing right now and to be ready to start doing doing it next year uh, because we simply observed that the demand from schools is is becoming bigger and bigger to simply um, include not only the topic in the curriculum which is currently mostly missing unless the science or geography teacher decides to dedicate time to it in fact it's not com it's not compulsory in a sense but in the curriculum but it's really up to the teachers how much time they want to spend on it but the demand to include it um, not only as a subject but really has a cross-curricular approach that can be embedded as a whole school approach is is growing more and more and so we decided to try facilitate this process uh, going into the schools and helping teachers to uh, including introduce the topic but also to trying to bring solutions that can in practice improve the sustainability of the schools so we've we had whole programs where we try to do this to help the school facilitating that process of transformation and improvement through practical changes within the school involving as much as possible students so that they could see an impact and, and a change and within that we we talked a little bit about climate change not so much in depth but we are going to plan from next year entire projects that are specific on climate change it sounds like in all three of our experiences climate change has really come back up to the top of the priority heap now so let's move on to talking about how to begin to approach this topic and it sounds like in in all of our experience time is really the key factor so katia you've been able to approach climate change a bit more because the way that your organization works with schools there's just a lot more time than the really short sessions that both Maggie and myself have been dealing with. And so the big issue here in the UK is the fact that climate change is not in the national curriculum at the moment. And so teachers feel a lot of pressure to cover the curriculum and that leaves very little room to talk about climate change. So I think one of the best ways to approach teaching climate change is to embed it in the rest of the curriculum. Don't make climate change its own topic, its own just one unit, it needs to be embedded throughout the curriculum so that teachers can take the time to approach the issue and give it the time that it needs. And it is such a big, all-encompassing issue that I think it, it can work and fit into a lot of the curriculum. Yes, definitely. Um, yes, what we're seeing is that teachers realize that this is not just a lesson, not just a subject that they need to cover but it's really a fundamental need that young people need to uh, they need to grow and develop the right skills for their future and so what we're seeing in many activism movements such as extinction rebellion friday for fridays for future the strikes and so on they're asking for sort of a revolution in the education system because they want climate change in the curriculum but not 
as a subject really but as an approach as an approach that they can see practiced in the daily routine of their school as a whole school approach where all the decisions at the logistic level at finance level are made considering their impact on the environment and also how they can improve their sustainability and reduce their environmental impact and their footprint so teachers are asking for help not only to include this topic in the curriculum and to have the resources and the expertise to talk about but also to implement it as um, a, as an approach in the whole school so in this sense they want to be able to shape skills that will be useful for the future with which means critical thinking, creativity, capability to work um, in teams, in groups, and to think out of the box, divergent thinking, but also empathy, emotional intelligence, all these skills that will be extremely important to deal with global problems, which will be much bigger than we can imagine right now. So it's a quite system change that they're asking for. Now, this is obviously something very big that we're starting to see, but on a practical level, what can a teacher do in school to start the ball rolling? So for example, in our case, when we go into school to help a school start this transition, we start by setting up a, a team of students who are passionate about the topic, which could be called an eco team, for example. And then we meet with them regularly every couple of weeks. And we talk about different topics which are related to the environment, to their lifestyle, to climate change, and so on. And in each session, we don't only bring some content, but what we really try to focus on is um, practical activities that can involve them and engage them in identifying problems that they see in their daily life in, in school or in their family with their friends, and then think of solutions that they can implement to improve and to help the environment. So they can act on at an individual level, at a community level, but the important thing is that it's them it's it's they that it's they are the protagonist who identify a problem and come up with an idea a solution to be implemented with the support of adults in school so in this sense we transformed completely for example how the whole waste situation um worked in in several schools we started programs where schools didn't even have recycling bins and produced very big amounts of rubbish every day through a period of workshops where we worked with pupils and where they came up with solutions they ended up after five months not having rubbish at all being almost zero zero waste schools and this was all the result of students engaged in um, implementing solutions with the support of of the leadership team in the school so it's very important that there is at least one adult in the school one teacher which is passionate and is able to 
um, to take the lead of the group because you know students are great and they are usually so passionate about the topic but unfortunately they can't take the final decision which is uh, responsibility of, of the head teacher and then all the leadership team so it's really important to find one channel one person who is interested in taking this program forward and, and help the children to to, to implement and realize those solutions. What did they do practically? For example, they one session we had was about food waste. Uh, they ran surveys in the whole school to find out why children were wasting so, so much food. And the children found out why that happened and they worked together with the, with the catering team to change the menu, to set up a garden with compost bins so that they could compost the food waste, but also with the local authorities so that they could collect their food waste and that they ended up having a garden where they grow vegetables that they use in their mensa and everything else that can't be composted is collected and is also composted by the local authority so they started from wasting so much food and not having any idea of the impact to having no food waste at all and understanding all the cycle of, of the food and, and growing and, and the environmental impact of it and solving the problem of generating so much waste. And this happened through this work of empowerment, of engagement of the children, which is not top down. It wasn't the head teacher deciding this, it was the group of children identifying a problem, coming, coming up with a solution and being supported in implementing it. And it's an incredibly empowering process that gives them very much hope and also enthusiasm because they see that they're having an impact. I really like that experience because it goes to the, the real strength of looking at this and taking a whole school approach to the issue is because you really do need it to be that energy to be there at all levels. You know, you, you need the leadership on board to make that final decisions, but also to allow room for the teachers to, to take that direction in their classrooms. But equally, you need teachers to be on board to provide that energy because they're the ones who are going to be organizing their own students. And then you need the students on board as well to because that's this is the skill that they're learning is how to drive that change forward in their own community. If any one of those levels isn't really on board, then the, the project can't really go anywhere, you know. Absolutely. Um, I particularly like uh, Kutcher's um, notion of empowerment of the students because when we talk about climate change, it's, it's not quite the same as talking about one single scientific issue like, let's say, um, the carbon cycle it encompasses absolutely everything we do and the impacts are, are scary the impacts uh, can easily get out of control and affect the entire humanity uh, and so it is a topic that evokes a lot of emotions and 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 very negative emotions often um, and one aspect of teaching it in a way that young people and children can deal with this is empowering them so they feel that they can do something about the issue and reduce those feelings of powerlessness which are so easy to gain when you're faced with such huge incredibly complex um, issues such as climate change this is a very big topic and can be really overwhelming so maggie can you tell us a little bit about climate anxiety and 
ways we might approach dealing with it. Teaching climate change is, is not like teaching just about life cycles or just about the water cycle. It is an incredibly huge and complex issue. And of course, the impacts of climate change uh, on ecosystems, on food security, on human health are incredibly worrying and can evoke anxiety. Um, climate change anxiety is now uh, recognised by a professional as... Uh, a very real thing um, affecting more and more people but also more and more children and young people. Um, a good place to go uh, to find out more is Climate Psychology Alliance um, in the UK. They have done a lot of work on this uh, because facing this difficult truth about what's happening does evoke some very strong emotions and those emotions are mainly very negative they can sway between feeling loss and grief uh, feeling angry blaming others or blaming yourself frustration so how would a teacher go about dealing with these very real emotions that can come up i think any teacher or any educator uh, whether in in a in a formal or informal setting, I think this topic has to be taught in an emotionally aware way. What I mean by that is that adults have to acknowledge that they, their own, have emotions in regards to climate change, but also acknowledge that children and young people will have them as well. And actually, this is usually the major obstacle to adults talking about climate change and teachers and educators teaching about it, because we want to shelter children. We, want, we don't want to hurt them in any way. We don't want to make them feel anxious. So it is important to acknowledge an onset teaching climate change to children or young people. Uh, likewise, it is very important to just acknowledge on the onset that there are some very strong feelings that come with the topic and that it is okay. Sort of giving young people and children the permission to feel them. On a more practical level uh, for teachers, you can use feeling charts, puppets to express those emotional worry jar, or even express emotions for animals and using different colors in arts. But I do think that it's not just about acknowledging emotions, especially, especially with younger children, but, but also teenagers. It is very important that the information we're giving them is manageable and tolerable. So it comes in bits. It's not all at once. And we give them uh, the kind of emotional tools to cope with what's coming, as well as some practical tools. Because if we don't do that, uh, it's very easy to fall from fear, feeling threatened, into quite a deep depression. Another aspect of that is because the emotions are so negative, we very easily fall into denial. And of course, that will affect what we do about the topic, what we do about the problem, and it will affect how we behave as well. Caroline Hickman, who's a psychoanalyst that works with children with climate change anxiety, she, um, she gave a very, very telling example. She was saying that children are like uh, little seeds. And if you, if you put a seed in soft soil and, and shelter them and don't tell them um, the uncomfortable truths about climate change, they will, they will grow quickly, but they will eventually just collapse because they haven't built that resilience to deal with those very difficult issues. 
On the other hand, you can fill the pot with hard stones and the seed will grow distorted and hurt and then eventually collapse because again, it, it has not managed to deal with the issue. So what we want to do is we want to sort of mix up the soil, nice soft soil with some grit. So children know the reality, but also grow around the grit and in a, in a way where they can build resilience. And I really like what Katja said earlier, because building that resilience is not just acknowledging the emotions you have and dealing with them as an adult, a child or a young person. But a big part of that is empowerment. What Katja was talking about earlier is giving children, young people, the confidence and advocacy uh, to reduce those feelings of uh, powerlessness and frustration and anger and blame. And all these emotions are real and they are um, understandable because of the huge, uh, huge, complex and scary future we may face as humanity as a result of climate change. Yeah, I think that's a really excellent point. And also uh, a good point that these emotions and this anxiety is not just a problem for for kids, it's also a problem for all adults. So we know from behavioral science and social psychology that one of the big barriers to adults changing what they do in order to combat climate change is a feeling of the overwhelming size of the problem. And they just shut down. You know, you think this problem is too big. Anything I do doesn't matter because the problem is too big for me to tackle. And so they just ignore it, block it out and just go on with your life as though it's not happening. And so I think giving people tools to be more resilient to these, um, to channel anger and frustration into something more productive is really important. And so that brings us on to this topic of taking action and empowerment, because this is a really powerful tool for dealing with this, with this anxiety. Um, so Katya, can you tell us a little bit about ways that teachers and students can take action on climate change? Yes, so I completely agree with what you just said. Um, in fact, what I would recommend, what we try to do in our programs and our sessions is to include always um, a a big chunk of, of our workshops or our projects, which is focused on action planning and solutions. Um, so our approach is very solution-based, meaning that we don't just talk about the problems, we don't just present what is not working, but we try to spend as much time as possible on framing ideas to come up with solutions to deal with those problems and it doesn't matter how small that action is what is important is that the children or the students can experience a small success in something that they try to do because if they can experience a small impact that they are having through their action then that is the seed that we want to put inside them to experience hope and this empowerment you, you were just talking about so I find very important much more the process how we teach about climate change than the content the science content because they will they will learn 
those facts. They will learn um, all the science. We want to bring that, but especially we want to make sure we, we bring it in the right way. And I would really recommend all teachers which try to introduce the topic to approach it with big focus on solutions. So if you're talking about increasing temperatures, which is very big, uh, try to ask them or, or suggest them and present them all the initiatives that are existing around the world, especially from young people, all the activists around the world that are already implementing solutions. There are uncountable uh, examples of young people who are taking actions with initiatives, not only Greta, which is fantastic, but lots of young people not necessarily young, but especially young people who just invented things. You know, recently there, there is a new plastic which was which is completely biodegradable, which was invented by a young girl in the UK. Uh, you can find so many of those examples just to inspire them and to give them this feeling that yes we have a lot of problems but look how many solutions are out there and look how much you can do what would you like to do what is it that motivates you what part of your life you would like to take action on is it in your family is it in your peers is it in your school what is the problem you would like to take action on and again no matter how small the action will be if they phrase it coming out with, okay, this is the problem. What could we do about it? We can do this. Who should we talk to? Head teacher, how can we solve it? We want to do this, this, and this. And then facilitated by teacher or by adults, if they can see a small achievement, that is already the hope that we are putting inside them. And I think this is really, really important. So next to the lesson, always include experience and for example, action, we do it through action planning. Action planning can be simply a table where you ask children to work in teams, for example, and they identify a problem they want to take action on in the school. Uh, mentioning again our programs, um, let's say the problem is too much rubbish in, in the classroom. Okay, problem, too much rubbish. What can we do about? Uh, we can reuse things. We can reduce our rubbish. How could we do that? Why don't we all bring uh, a reusable bottle in school, given that there are so many plastic bottles in our bin? And through that, they will see an impact, a result, and they will see that the action had a very big um result of improving the situation and obviously celebrating at the end is also very important so yes yeah, solution-based approach um, taking action through small steps we say small achievable steps in forest school um, is very important one thing i would just add really quickly is i think although empowering children and young people through action is so so vital i think we need to be careful not to shift the responsibility to them uh, because it is us adults that have put everyone in this mess and is ultimately our responsibility uh, to do something about it. And as what wonderful it is for young people to be active in this. We need to be careful not to shift the responsibility. The other thing that I would suggest to empower is also trying to bring ex direct experience in nature and um, we do that through forest school um, it's it's another way to connect young people children to the environment by 
experiencing positive emotions in nature. It's, it's another way to promote that care for the environment, for, for the natural environment, for all the living creatures we share the planet with. Because if they experience and associate with the learning experience positive emotions, they will bring that with them uh, their whole life in their heart and they will be much more likely to take action in a positive way in their future. Can I add something to that? Because I think you're right on the point here that that kind of desire and need to change things, to to empower uh, yourself to 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 want to change it for the better, I think has to come from a place of uh, empathy, has to come from a place of love rather than a place uh, of anxiety and fear. Uh, and I think the way we can do that with children is exactly what you're saying, is building up that, that love for the natural world, whether it's for you, outdoors, uh, outdoor activities, anything from mini beast hunts to maybe caring for bees, but also creating empathy for people elsewhere that are affected, affected by climate change to a much higher degree. Uh, that could be supporting a school project in an area that is heavily impacted by climate change. Um, there are floodings, for instance, or there's uh, sea levels coming up. Um, and perhaps connecting with schools and children and the global south uh, that are already affected and, and learning to know them and their experiences. Uh, I think it is very effective as a tool. Yeah, I'd like to pick up on a few of those points as well that you made. And it's going to be perhaps a bit controversial given the direction that the places that we work are going. But I think that if you're an education provider outside of schools and the way that you interact with schools is mainly through short sessions, I would argue that it is okay to not talk about climate change in your sessions as long as the people are leaving you having had the kind of experience which sets them up to want to take action on climate change when they do hear about it elsewhere. And that's, again, because of exactly what the both of you have said, that the core of willingness to take action, to protect nature and to take action on climate change, the core of that is that you value it and you value the contribution that nature makes to our lives. If you don't have that attitude, that pro-environmental attitude, then again, going back to research from social psychology and behavioral science, we know that no matter how much information a person has, if they don't value the environment, they will not take action to protect it. So that's the real key. And so if the only thing that you, the only interaction that you have with schools are these really short visits, and you are an outdoor education type site, think about what is going to be the most effective thing that you can do. Is it going to be, you know, adding 10 minutes on climate change to the end of your session? Or is it going to be devoting all of that time to ensuring that students have a really positive experience with that natural environment so that they learn to value it? And I would argue that it's the latter, that you should devote the time to making that visit as special and magical and memorable as possible so that it sets them up to take action on climate change when they hear about it in other contexts. I think building relationship to either natural world or empathy and empathy is it's the way to go. And of course, you can 
do that in, in many different ways in the classroom, especially where you have uh, time for maybe slightly longer projects over time, um, which, which, as you said, Victor, you don't have in a one-off uh, school visit. Can I just end with a, with a story? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, my, my end note is just to say as an example, it's something that probably many people will recognize themselves in. Uh, how did I become passionate about nature? For example, through my grandpa, I, I used to go in the garden with my, my, my grandpa and he would uh, simply not teach me about the science of gardening but i would simply spend my afternoons with him looking after every single tomato plant and then i would eat those those tomatoes knowing where they came from and how much care was put into them and it is through that modeling uh, of my grandpa and the care that i have seen through him that i learned to appreciate and value the natural world on on the contrary when i went to university and for the first time i started sustainability my my very old teacher was incredibly pessimistic and he would just teach us every single lesson uh, saying that there was no hope that the world was already going to collapse because the economic system was too much into um, the, the, the wrap of, of profit and the emissions were too high. So it was there was nothing to do. And of course, he was already uh, 75. So for him, it didn't really matter. But we will all go home very depressed and hopeless. And I will never forget how uh, damaging this these lessons were for me. And things changed when I started to take action and to feel empowered, just to come back to the same principle. Once I knew the problems, it was there was no point in feeling in, in feeling um, um, disempowered and, and sad about it. But things changed when I reconnected to nature and when I started to do something about it and see that what I was doing had a small impact but still mattered. So this is what I would probably tell everyone who is teaching, try to reconnect with that small child of yours who you were when you were maybe excited to see a flower and try to transmit this to your children. So that will bring us to the end of this discussion on this topic, but I'm sure we'll come back to it in the future. If you are interested in digging a bit deeper, looking at how you can encourage pro-environmental attitudes in your students, I'd encourage you to go back to our very first podcast episode, actually, where Annabeth and I discuss a paper that looked at how conservationists and other environmentalists got into their fields. Thank you very much for listening to this episode. As always, there'll be full notes at our website, which is at knowingnaturepodcast.wordpress.com. And we'll also include links there to additional resources uh, if you are so interested. You can also send us questions or comments to our email address, which is knowingnaturepodcast at gmail.com. And you can also follow us on Twitter at KN underscore podcast. And that brings us to the end of this episode. Thanks very much for listening. 